the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and try to answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible and questions about worldviews, world religions. We talk about a lot of different things. It's We've had a, a growing um, opportunity for Tuesdays to be our sort of tough question Tuesday where you get the opportunity to ask the really hard questions. As always, I preface the answer to the really hard questions with, well, I may not know the answer. There's lots of things that you could ask me about that I don't know the answer. And uh, my friend, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, has written a book called Pandemics, Plagues, and Natural Disasters. What is God trying to say to us? And in a chapter in that book, he talks about God's apparent silence in the presence of human anguish. He talks about it being a mystery of our existence. He talks about when we are faced with gratuitous human suffering, we're forced to rethink our view of God and his relationship to the suffering on the planet. He asks the hardest questions. If God is omnipotent and good, why doesn't he put an end to the madness? Atheists and skeptics scoff as they ask believers hard questions about the divine apparent indifference to human need. And I was watching a video by Sam Harris who brought up this ever reoccurring issue. The idea that he was promoting was, well, there is no God. And if there is a God, he's certainly not good at least the way the New Testament uh, or the Bible presents the God of the Bible. And so he brings up, up, up a couple of things. But having said all of that, uh, the number, if you want to join me on the program, is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And uh, there's a couple of uh, news broadcasts, if you will, outlet that are that are talking once again about the never-ending story of the pandemic and the coronavirus. And of course, several news outlets are reporting once again that um, new Omicron COVID variants are starting to emerge. And uh, several medical officials, are suggesting, well, there's this this urgent need to prepare for the future variants. So what we're what we're being what's being suggested to us is the pandemic is no longer a pandemic. It's an endemic. By that we mean it's something that's here to stay 
and it's not going to go away anytime soon. Now what do we do? 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Is it is it Kevin? Is it my friend Kevin? Kevin, welcome to the Kevin. program. Hey, I'm the first one to call. Can you believe that? I'm anyway. always happy to hear from you. <laughs> hey, Gino, tough Tuesday for, for me. Um, tough want, question I, Tuesday, I want, yeah. Okay, I want you to tell me if it's wrong to have an occasional wine or not, and prove it to me scripturally, please. Well, I can't prove it to you scripturally because the – so, again, when we're talking about freedom and prohibition – um, the, and we ask and we answer the question, does the Bible prohibit the right. drinking of alcoholic beverages, period? And the answer is no. Um, what does the Bible say and prove it to you scripturally? Well, the Bible talks about that there are... Um, there are pro, there are warnings about drinking alcohol, but drinking it in such a way that you're going to hurt yourself. Like, for instance, in Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, it says, drink your wine with a merry heart. Well, that doesn't sound like you can't drink wine. So according to the Bible, God gives wine and it makes the heart of man glad. And of course, in Amos 9.14, it talks about drinking wine from your own vineyard as a sign of God's blessing. And in Isaiah, he says, come buy wine and milk. So what the Bible does prohibit is drunkenness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, for that is debauchery, is another translation but be filled with the Spirit. So the Bible condemns drunkenness. So you have to ask and answer a different question, and that is, at what point does pleasure become impairment? In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29, um, you said, prove it to me scripturally, Proverbs 29, excuse me, verse 20, chapter 23, verse 29. He says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try to uh, try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup. So it's right. basically it's yeah. it it's describing a person who's lingering long, drinking alcohol and it's altering their state of consciousness, it's impairing their judgment. Right. Now, the well, other you know thing, go, so that, that's, so is it, is it sinful? No. Can it but, be sinful? I think yeah. so. <clears throat> but you know what, Gino? It would take me, because I abstain from alcohol completely, and I want to tell you why. Because if it takes me four, just small glasses of wine, and I get a buzz, uh-huh. if I have one glass of wine, I am one quarter. I, 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 it blocks me from hearing from the Holy Spirit, and it blocks my communication with the Lord because I'm in a fog, even with one glass of wine. So I well, just keep yeah, away from so, it. Yeah, so for many, many people like you, like me, 
I, I grew up in a world where my family abused alcohol. Yeah, the ditto, ditto. And so for me, it makes much better sense that that rather than run the risk of impairment, it's not it's just not a good idea for me. Now also okay. the Bible says anything that offends other Christians or encourages them to sin against their conscience in first Corinthians chapter eight, verses nine through thirteen. It says, but you know, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So for Correct. some people, they might say, well, Kevin gets to have margaritas or a glass of wine with his dinner. Why can't I? Or Gino gets to have yeah. a margarita with his um, chalupa and enchilada and yep. Los Dos Patrio combo. <laughs> Why can't I? Well, Again, what I have to do is not use my freedom as an excuse for someone right. who might have a problem. And so did did Jesus change water into wine? I think that the answer is yes. I remember hearing the story of a man who got saved, and he goes, I don't know about Jesus changing water into to wine, but I know that he changed beer into furniture. He goes, what do you mean? Well, before I got saved, I would use my money to buy beer, and now I use it to buy furniture for my wife. <laughs> oh, great, great. Okay, Gino. Thank you. So, there you have it. This is Gino Geraci. Thank you, Kevin. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Dracy. Before I take the next call, 303-873-1935, I do want to add, again, does the Bible prohibit drinking or the consumption of alcohol? And the answer is no. What does the Bible prohibit? Well, apparently it prohibits drunkenness, but also there seems to be a prohibition against doing something that's harmful or addictive. Now, apparently, alcohol in small quantities isn't harmful or addictive. And so, again, just because some people choose to refrain from drinking, that doesn't mean that the Bible pro that, that means everyone has to uh, refrain from drinking. 303-873-1935, that's the number. Let's see who's up. Wendy, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. How you doing? Good. I think I'm doing pretty good. I, I, uh, it's snowing for most of the day today, yeah. so I, I made the probably the stupid decision to shovel my driveway to get out. <laughs> but when you've had COVID and COVID pneumonia just recently, yeah, it it does put a little toll on on yeah. you. So your, I'm I'm going to do the system is a little low. Yeah, so I'm, your, I your body's still fighting it whether you know it or not. Yeah, so I probably need to just do a little at a time. Yeah. <laughs> but I can understand your enthusiasm. I was delighted to see the snow today. Yeah. <laughs> um anyhow, I'm I'm calling about Hebrews 12. Um, mainly verse 2, but uh -huh. the, the 1 and 2. When I was just a, a Christian toddler, this was one of the first ones that I memorized. I was just so touched by it. Uh -huh. And at that time, I encouraged myself by thinking, I am that joy that was set before him. Uh -huh. 
but as I've studied more and more, I'm, is that joy all of mankind? Is it the distra- you know, the, the him conquering death and sin? I think or it's, is it called returning to the glory of the Father, like he well, says in the prayer? On yeah, the I don't. I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it can be both and. So all, all it, of the above. Yeah, in Hebrews twelve two, it says, "Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith." Another translation. Uh, says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But you'll remember, again, the context doesn't begin in verse 1. It begins in Hebrews 11, where it goes through that litany of the great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race. So believers are pictured as being in a race. They they look at the examples in Hebrews 11, the cloud of witnesses, mm-hmm. in order to run effectively. And so believers need, obviously, to ask and answer the question, how do I consistently abandon sin and the, the sin that so easily entangles? So so I'm going to suggest to you that the author of Hebrews in part is 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 providing believers with the ultimate example of perseverance Jesus. Oh, so okay. so so now here you have this perseverance for the joy set before him he endures the cross. He is going to persevere. He so is going all those, all those examples of perseverance, right? And so, our encouragement to persevere, and then the ultimate picture of endurance, right? So it's the oh. ultimate picture of perseverance. Yeah. So in Hebrews twelve two, it says he's the pioneer of our faith. Now, in that context and in that world, that means the one who blazes the trail. Um, so so we have, sometimes we have to go all the way back in our our thinking and and just remind ourselves well who's you know you've probably been in places where you thought I wonder if anyone's ever been here before yeah <laughs> and and um so that's part of the I think the point so Jesus is the perfecter of our faith he's the one who brings it to completion he doesn't just start it he continues it he finishes it and then it says that he endures the cross. So he, he goes, blazes the trail all the way to the end. He blazes the trail all the way to the end. So now, see, and then layered in all of that thought is this idea of perseverance. So how does he persevere? He endures the cross, and then he scorns the shame. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Um, God raises him from the dead and he ascends into heaven. So so part of, I think, the joy, if you will, is the fact that just like Jesus, we're going to die. Just like Jesus, God is going to bring you back to life, Wendy. Just like Jesus, you're going to go to the place where you belong. Jesus ascends into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So again, I'm going to suggest to you that part of the point of 
of the of of this process of perseverance is living in Christ, dying in Christ, being resurrected in Christ, and being with Him and the Father. Exactly. That's a glorious, glorious thing to think about, and um, and actually much more encouraging than just thinking I'm the joy set before Him, but. Well, and I think that's one element, but I don't think it's all of the elements. Yeah. Part of, the, I think, the point is this great big idea of perseverance. Yeah, I, I love your explanation, Gino. Be, Thank you so much. Because the original audience, remember, it's mm-hmm. Hebrews. These yeah. are Jews. These are Jews who are facing persecution, and they're going, you know, it was hard being a Jew. Yeah. But it's harder being a Christian. And so they're tempted to renounce Christ, yeah. go back to the temple and the sacrificial system, they're tempted to not persevere, to turn around and go back to the situation they, that they, they used to have. They started that habit when they wanted to go back to Egypt. <laughs> right. And so every once in a while, I'm I'm willing to concede that there are Christians who say, you know, it's hard being a Christian. Yeah, I quit. <laughs> it, it was easier being an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to deal with my family. I didn't have to deal with the culture. I didn't have to deal. I wasn't at war with Satan. Yes. <laughs> oh, one one last remark. Um, Chuck Swindoll on this passage said that um, the sin that entangles and all. Yes, that so easily besets he, us. Yeah, he, he said it's like. Um, Run, trying to run a, a race in, in galoshes and an overcoat. Right. And I've always thought that's a really good picture of the way that sin does entangle us and weigh us down. Exactly. <laughs> and and so, yeah, you know, when you're a runner, when you're a runner, you you can't be distracted. No. And, and, and you obviously have to shed pounds or, you know, I was, I was thinking, uh, when I was a kid, you know, I used to run and, mm-hmm. I, and, uh, Adidas invented a shoe that's 3.5 ounces. Wow. And, and so they're trying to, you know, obviously in the, in the Olympic games, they ran naked. Now, I don't think it's a good idea for me to run naked. <laughs> well, they, they run pretty close to naked anymore. Right. But so in the race of life, we we fix our eyes on Jesus. We run. He's the example. But and, he's, and you can have that crowd of witnesses cheering you on, but you can't be looking at them. Right. What's interesting can... is he's both the example and the destination. Yes. He is. He is the one we look at, and then he's where we arrive when it's all over with. And he gave us his great encourager to be within us while we're running. Well, thank you for calling me, making my life a little bit easier. And and no more heavy-duty work. Well, yeah. At least for a little while. At least for a little while. Thank you. This is Gina Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, on Tough Question Tuesday. Happy to take your call, 303 873-1935. 873-1935. I was reading an interesting, interest. I've got to watch the podcast. 
but uh, Billy Hollowell, who's an editor at faithwire.com, was making comment about a podcast that Jordan Peterson did, um, I want to say, with Joe Rogan. Now, I know Joe Rogan has been in the news. I know people have called me and asked me about Jordan Peterson. I've tr- I've tried to read what he's written. He's written a very uh, well-known book about, I want to say, the maze of the mind or there's there's something that he uses that's a, a textbook um, that I really do want to read. Um, but he was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and he tells Joe Rogan why the Bible is way more true than just true. And I, you know, that comment obviously caught my attention. And Billy Hollowell, who is, like I said, an editor at faithwire.com, spoke about the importance of the Bible as the centerpiece of ideas, and that Jordan Peterson talked about the Bible as being essentially the first book, that it serves as the basis for which other cultural knowledge is built. And so he made this surprising statement. Jordan Peterson told Joe Rogan, quote, Now, in many ways, the first book was the Bible. For a while, literally, there was only one book. Before it was the Bible, it was scrolls, writings on papyri. He's basically making, uh, acknowledging the fact that the Bible was a collection of texts over a period of time. The Bible isn't, quote, quote, unquote, just simply a singular book, but it's a collection of books that have been written over time, and that part is true. And Peter said, Peterson said, all of those books, in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book, and, and then he made the statement, and that book itself, the Bible isn't a book, it's a library, it's a collection of books, that's true. He said, all of those books, in some sense, emerged out of the underlying book. Now, what's interesting even about that statement, all of those books, in some sense, emerged out of the underlying book, is seems to indicate that there's some sort of continuity, there's some sort of reality, there's some sort of representation of truth. And then he says, and the book itself, the Bible itself isn't a book, it's a library, And then he argues that the Bible is a text upon which other texts depend. This essentially means that Scripture occupies a special place in displaying, setting, and perpetuating truth. So when he argues that the Bible is a text upon which other texts depend, I'm wondering if he's saying that when a person makes a truth claim that something is true— And then there's this statement, and I'm going to quote him. And I have every, you know, I'm hoping that it isn't out of context. But this is being reported at faithwire.com. It says, it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. Peterson said, quote, it's a whole different kind of true. I think this is not only literally the case factually, 
I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. So I'm going to have to watch the uh, podcast myself, but Peterson also revealed that that he had made a, a visit to the Museum of the Bible and noted that it was a cool thing to walk through and learn about the transformational book's history. Now, my friends at Coldwater Media provided much of the video support for the information that's contained at the Museum of the Bible. And then Faithwire reported that this isn't the first time um, that Peterson has made headlines for spiritual reasons. He recently set YouTube on fire with a prayerful reflection that called on an ever divisive culture to confront a key reflective question. And the key reflective question is, quote unquote, who is the enemy here? You know, remember, we're talking about this deeply divided culture in which we live, and we're talking about these the deeply divided beliefs. His daughter, Michaela Peterson, revealed in October that she, quote-unquote, came to faith in what, what she referred to as a very sudden conversion. And she said, quote, I'm pretty new to this in on 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 her October 1st episode, she said, quote, what I've been doing for the last like month or so is reading the Bible and praying. And it's been like the amount of peace I've, I've had, I haven't had before. It's completely absurd. I can't believe it. Unquote. So it's going to be interesting to see what Peterson says next about faith and the Bible and related themes. Now I know again, people have called me and I'm going to follow up on this, but I, I was reading a story because um, when the pandemic began in March of 2020, I was scheduled to go to Israel with some 50 people. And we've had to schedule and reschedule and reschedule and reschedule. And it seems like we have this ever-present pandemic that isn't going away, that it's making it more and more difficult and and in second corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and then again in 16 it says christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view and in the story that i read it says that the dan hotel in jerusalem and i've stayed in this hotel on more than one occasion the Dan Hotel in Jerusalem is one of the most famous hotels in all of Jerusalem. But um, at the beginning of the virus, it became known as Hotel Corona. A according to uh, this story, the government dedicated the hotel to patients recovering from COVID-19. And the hotel became... Um, known as a rare site of joy and unity during a difficult time. Since the residents already had the virus, well, guess what? Everybody in the hotel had COVID. So they were free to sing and dance and laugh together. And they did. In Israel, in a country where tensions between different political and religious groups run high, the shared crisis created a space where people could, well, learn to see each other as human beings first. 
Now, what's interesting to me is also to participate in life together, singing, laughing, even becoming friends. And in our daily bread for Thursday, September 9th of, well, this was 2021, it says, quote, it's natural, normal even, for us to be drawn toward those we see as similar to us. People we suspect share similar experiences and values to our own. But as the Apostle Paul often emphasized, the gospel's a challenge to any barriers between human beings that we see as normal. Through the lens of the gospel, we see a bigger picture than our differences, a shared brokenness, a shared longing, a need to experience healing in God's love. If we believe that one died for all, then we also no longer can be content with just surface-level assumptions about each other. Christ's love compels us. In other words, because of Jesus, we're willing to think a little harder. We're willing to love a little harder about the situation we face. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And of course, it is Tough Question Tuesday, but believe it or not, what Jordan Peterson was bringing up, and I ha- haven't watched the entire podcast, but I want to, and I, I'm going to try and make an effort to do exactly that. But it begs the question... Is the Bible true? And so, again, this this is the million-dollar question. This is the billion-dollar question. In what way is the Bible true? In, a, in other words, if the Bible is true, in what way is it true? And so, again, I don't know exactly what Jordan Peterson means by when he says, it's 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 more than true it's way more than true so the the way that i think about it is that logic requires that there's only one objective truth this is called the the law of non-contradiction and so we do have to ask and answer the question is there such a thing as objective truth we might think of it in terms of factual or historical so the the way to think about this contradictory claims cannot be equally true and so if we ask and answer that question this is what the whole law of non-contradiction and logic is all about if if that's if contradictory claims cannot be equally true in the same way at the same time so if we ask and answer the question about the claim there is a God. So imagine you're making the claim there's a God, and then you're making the claim there is no God. Or you're making the claim God is good, or you're making the claim the God of the Bible is not good. 
you're making the claim the Bible is true, or you're making the claim the Bible is not true. So at gotquestions.org, we have that question, is the Bible true? And it addresses this issue of objective truth. It says, for example, um, the statement, the hamster is in the cage, and the hamster is, the cage is empty. Both cannot be true simultaneously, at least in the same way. This evaluation of truth applies to spiritual matters just as well as logical or physical matters. It's reasonable to claim that the Bible is true in a way that excludes all other statements. Examining the Bible in the same way we would any other text, we confidently say that the Bible is in fact true. 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. The Bible not only encourages readers to examine their own beliefs, but it also commends those who check spiritual claims for truth. So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the Bible says, guess what? Don't believe, when it says don't believe every spirit, what I think it means in this instance, it's not just talking about um, demonic spirits. It's talking about human beings, angelic beings, demonic beings. It's using the term spirit in the same way we would use the term sentient being or a person who makes a claim. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. In other words, they're evaluating, checking, examining claims of truth, and then comparing it with what the Bible has said on the subject. So the Bible makes claims on the basis of history and eyewitness testimony. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, where Luke talks about, um, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have ac accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter says, We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The Bible is making a claim that it is rooted and grounded in history, not, not simply philosophy or ideas, but that there is a historical connection to what the Bible says about reality. 
and that because the Bible makes claims on the basis of history and eyewitness, it connects belief to visible, historical, tangible evidence. In John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so, because the Bible makes the claim to be both historical, factual, evidential, based on what people have seen and heard, and then connects to the visible evidence, it ties biblical ideas to the observable world, the very real world in which we live. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In other words, the physical motion of the universe, I'm going to go so far as to say, and the composition of the very real world tells us something that is true. And of course, Paul makes the same argument in Romans chapter 1, where he talks about um, the reality that Jesus was predicted in the Old Testament scriptures. And what the Bible says that is so disturbing to the popular culture, manifested in what's going on both in Canada and John MacArthur's being banned from YouTube. And that is, the Bible is making claims, not just about truth, but certain kinds of truth aren't just representative truth, but even ex- even exclusive truth. So in John 18, 37, Pilate says, so you're a king. And Jesus said, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And in John 14, 6, he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Not a way or a a truth or a relativized truth. So apparently truth is something that includes a correlation with reality, but seems to be incorporated in the person of Jesus himself. And so the Bible, if it's interpreted as true, it certainly is making that claim. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.